I'm going to pray, and um, if you've got a Bible, um, can I encourage you to find it, switch it on, and um, this is the kind of talk where you might need me to send you a list of verses afterwards. Uh, there were far too many to put on the screen, so I haven't put any of them on the screen, apart from the one, um, so I better pray. <laughs> uh, Father God. Father God, thank you that you are so good and so faithful. And that you are present here by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would come and renew our minds and our living. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been invited out for a meal and you get to that nervous little bit uh, when the menus go round and you think, well, what, what shall I order? Shall I, shall I go for the basic margarita or shall I go for the full-blown T-bone steak? Uh, and, then, and then you hear the immortal words of your host who says, don't worry, order whatever you like, it's on me. Is that one of the best things ever to hear? I mean, apart from I love you, will you marry me, all that other stuff, you know, I love it. You go to a restaurant and they say, it's on me. That is a beautiful thing. And after that, you can relax as long as you've kind of done the check of did they mean, did they mean it's on me margarita or did they mean it's on me T-bone steak? You know, as long as you're clear about where, how far down the menu you've gone, then, it's, then, you, then you're okay. Um, and um, most of my kids, you know, will look at me, can I go for the steak, Dad? Um, anyway, it's on me. Let me uh, read you these few verses from John chapter 15, because this is what we're going to be in for the whole term. So I, can I encourage you to, to read the verses, read the chapter, read around it. It goes like this. I am the true vine, and my Father is every branch in me that bears no fruit. And while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Um, in the first week, I kind of unpacked a little bit uh, some of the background of the I am sayings and Jesus making this amazing declaration that he was and is the vine. I introduce you to this little phrase, uh, discover full life in Jesus, which if you like is the, is the sign that we want to have above the door of West Wilts, that we're really clear that it's all about Jesus, that it's invitational for all of us, whether we're just starting to follow or have been following for years, and that what he's got for us and everyone else is full life. And last week, Meg shared that the gardener, or more accurately, the vine dresser, brings both discipline, he, he picks us up from the ground and cleans us 
and uh, positions us in a, in a way where we will be able to grow, but he also prunes us. And both of those processes are painful, uh, but they are uh, they become fruitful at the point that we know which one we're in. And if we're in uh, discipline mode, uh, then it's probably a good idea to um, confess and get with the program. And, um, and if we're in pruning mode, then it's a really good idea to submit because both of those places gets us towards being fruitful in him. And so um, today I've got just verse 3. So verse 3 is this. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. There's a difference here. If you look at, if you've got a copy of the NIV, you'll notice there's a little footnote by the word prune in the previous verse. And, it, and the footnote is, is basically clean because prune can also be clean. But they're not clean in quite the same way as in verse 3 because in, in verse 2, prune is the, the action of being cleaned, of being pruned so that you can be fruitful. Whereas in verse 3, what Jesus is, says is this, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So there's this difference between the prune or the cleaned in verse 2 and the clean which is done in verse 3. Now, I, 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 have, to, I have to level with you. I, I in prepping this, got stuck. And I want to take you on a journey of my stuckness to help us all get what I hope is unstuck. Is that okay? Because I was like, how, how can Jesus make the people that he's speaking to, which is to his disciples, clean when he has not yet died on the cross? Because I've got this really strong theology that it's all centered on the cross. And I got myself, I'd, honestly, I tied myself in knots. I got myself really confused on all this because I was like, they can't, they can't possibly be clean yet because he's not died yet. He's not paid for all of their sin yet. So how can they actually be clean? Maybe it means something different. Maybe there's a different nuance here. So I've dug and I've dug and I've dug. And, and if you like, this morning is a bit of a roller coaster of, of that digging. And I, and, I, and I hope it makes some sense as it comes out. If, if it doesn't make any sense, then when you see me afterwards, just go, that was lovely, Mark. Good effort. We'll see you again next week, and, and Meg will be on, and it'll probably be better. <laughs> Backtrack with me. God makes the world. Everything is good. Yeah? Beginning of the Bible. Everything's good. People come along, uh, and they make a mess of everything. The Bible calls that sin. And what sin does is it breaks the connection between people and God, people and each other, and people and the world. So that one little thing, everything was good, there is a mess called sin, and all the connections between people and God, people and each other, and people and the world gets broken. That's why it's suddenly hard work to be in the world and earning a living and tilling the land. In order to sort this out, God calls a person, Abram, who becomes Abraham. And out of Abraham, he creates a nation. 
And this nation has this pattern annually of dealing with the sin, of dealing with the thing that went wrong, the cause. But it's an annual thing. It happens each year that there's sacrifices, and we've talked about that kind of stuff quite a lot. Hebrews uh, 10 verses 1 to 4 says this, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities of themselves. And, and Meg laid this out for, for us in, in the, that picture of the temple. And then verse 3, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. It is impossible for the sacrifices of blood and goats to take away sins. So it was like, it was like a cover note. It was like, you're okay for a year, but you have to keep on coming and getting the covenant renewed. And then Jesus comes, and he deals with the sin once and for all. So how does this make sense? Because if he deals with the sin once and for all on the cross, then how is it possible that he has made his disciples clean. This is the conundrum that I found myself in the Bible rabbit hole on. Well, there's another little bit just to understand before we get there. In, um, in Isaiah chapter 5, Israel is talked about as the vine. This is, this is God's vineyard, and Judah and the, uh, and the other tribes are, are the vines, and, and they are there for a purpose to be a blessing to the world, to change things, to do things differently. Ultimately, they, they don't achieve that. And so what God does is out of that group of people, out of that vineyard, he comes in person. And he says, it's no longer about that vineyard. It's about me. I am the vine, the true vine. You see, what Jesus did for us, he did once and for all. And it goes on later in 1 Peter 2 to say, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You see this pattern that he calls one person and they become a nation who are supposed to have a particular purpose. And then out of that nation, he comes in person and he makes us into a nation which have a particular purpose. A priestly role to the world to bring transformation, to bring good news. Folks, the church is good news to a hurting world. Don't let anyone rob you of that. The church is good news. We are good news to a hurting world. I heard someone uh, talking um, this week, and they said that in our, in our evangelism, we, we, we need to get our heads around, around this thing, that we, we just need to be honest. You know, no one wants to be sold anything. We just need to be honest about who we are and who we're following. Let's have that as our starter. I'm a Christian. I'm following Jesus. I, I try and start the day by reading the Bible and praying and hearing from him. That's a great bit of good news to take into your workplace. How was your morning? Oh, traffic was awful. Bradford on Avon. Have you seen those roadworks? How was your morning? Yeah, traffic was awful. But you know what? I had this great moment when I was, I was reading 
the vine. Do you know, we're looking at that at the ch- in the church at the moment. It's just honest. I'm not trying to push it down anyone's throat. We're a chosen people. But it still doesn't answer the question of how does Jesus make his disciples clean when he's not died yet? Well, I think we have to understand what's the problem that Jesus is solving when he comes in person to die on the cross. You see, the problem in the garden, the problem is caused by sin, but the consequence is separation from God. Yeah? You know, if I am, if I am rude to Meg, yeah, you know, then what happens is that relationship gets broken and there's distance between us. The cause is the thing that I've said, but the consequence is broken relationship. What Jesus has come to do is to sort out the broken relationship. He has come, he says in John chapter 10, that we might have life and have it to the full. So what is happening and how does Jesus do it? Well, what I want to do is basically read the whole of John's gospel to you, um, but in summary. Are you ready? Good. Um, Not all of it, don't worry. Um, John's gospel is amazing. So John's gospel is the one which got chapter 15 in it, John um, with the vine that we are looking at at the moment. Um, In the beginning, that's actually how it starts. In the beginning was the word. That's good. Um, The word. This is the word, if you like, the, the divine wisdom of the entire universe. Through him, everything that has been made was made. The one who holds everything together, it has been made by him and for him. This is the word who was God and was with God. Uh, Anyone else's? I, I, yeah. That was sign language for my head is exploding. Um, and, and, and this word, who was God and is God, and through whom everything was made and for whom everything was made, he, he becomes flesh. And he makes his dwelling amongst us. And his name is Jesus. God comes in person and he's fully God and fully human. At the same time, there's a really good read track that kind of just expresses that tension, just as an aside. Um, Anyway, John chapter 5. Jesus says this, I have testimony weightier than that of John. The works of the Father that he has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me and that the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor have you seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. And then he goes on to say this really hard line to them. You study the scriptures but you refuse to come to me to have life. And it looks like Jesus is beginning to talk about this 
not as a future reality, but as a present reality. The people who are in front of him, he's saying, you have not paid attention to who I am. You can read the words, but you should have come to me to actually receive life. And it seems like this is present. Let's dig a bit deeper and see what he says. There's this conversation um, going on in John chapter 6, and many of the disciples are deserting Jesus because what Jesus is saying is too hard. And then, uh, then uh, this is said, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life, yet there are some of you who do not believe. And then he turns to the 12 and he says to them, are you going to desert me as well? And Peter's response is really interesting. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This, this seems somehow not just to be a future event after Jesus has died on the cross, but a present event. That Jesus, Jesus is bringing them through his word eternal life, and that seems to be a present reality. And then there's this dispute in John chapter 8. Those, um, uh, to the Jews who have believed, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, or the teaching in this context is like word, but, but present word being spoken. If you hold to my teaching, you're really, then you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. A little bit later on it says, so if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. As we know the truth, the thinking, the theology, the words of Jesus, so we're set free because there's not a separation between his words and who he is. He is the living word. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the true vine. And then in John 15, if a little bit later on from the verses we are looking at today, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So these words are powerful. Nearly there with the summary of John. John 15, Jesus is praying for his disciples. So they've moved from this, uh, from this meal outside into this vineyard where Jesus is talking about the vine and they're just about to go to Gethsemane where he'll be betrayed. And then he's praying for them. They are yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given comes the you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them. 
They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. What, what, what is happening? What is happening here is I think that the, the presence of Jesus deals with the consequence of sin. See, the consequence of sin is that we are separated from God. Yeah? So if Jesus has come in person and he is God, then those people who are around him are no longer separated from God. So the consequence of sin has been wiped out because he's with them. He's standing amongst them. This is why he can say to them that they have life. He can say to them that they are clean because he's dealt with all the stuff. Hang on, Mark, but the cross hasn't happened yet. How, how, how can this really be, be different? Well, let's, let's look at another set of verses if I can find them. I can't find them. My map is just, it's gone too big. Um, there's, this, there's this time where Jesus is, uh, is ministering and, um, uh, and he tells this person to, get up and to pick up their mat and walk. Well, no, actually, the bit before that, he says to them that their sins are forgiven. And there's a whole lot of people that are a bit upset about that. You can't really say that. We'd have to be God. And he says, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, a present reality, he says to the man, pick up your mat and walk, and he does. So in that moment, Jesus, who is God, has forgiven this man his sin, yet the cross hasn't happened. Because he is so gracious, and he's so kind, and he's there. He's with them. The consequence of sin has been dealt with at that point because Jesus is there. His presence deals with the consequence, and the cross deals with the cause. His presence deals with the consequence, and the cross deals with the cause. M- Mark, so what? It's <laughs> always a good question to ask of of someone who's speaking. So what? what? What difference does it make? You know, what, what, I, what I see so often is that, is that, you know, as Meg was talking about last week, so, so often as Christians, we, we spend our lives scrabbling around in the dirt, asking God for a crumb, you know, caught up in our own stuff and and our heads are down and the stuff of life is overwhelming and and we plead from this position oh lord would you save me would you heal me would you cleanse me you know and i hear it i hear it so often we get we get stuck in the things that have happened and have been, and they, and they weigh us down. And I, and I have this picture. I have this picture um, 
sorry, I'm just checking if it's okay to share it. Um, I have this picture of the throne room of God. And, and Jesus is at one end of it, and it's, it's huge. And there's, and there's steps, and, and the throne is at the top of the steps. This is, an, this is an imagination picture that's just been with me for decades. And, there's, and, and going all down both sides, there are, there are pillars. It's just magnificent. But do you know the, the, weird, the weirdest thing is that all of, all of the marble is this weird, orange color and it's that that color has only ever been in my head until we went to Italy and had a tour of the art galleries and that orange is everywhere on all of the icon things and, and I was just like that's the color <laughs> but you see I can come into that space and I can be oh oh lord I'm so I'm so wretched I'm so miserable I've got all this stuff And from the other end of that throne room, Jesus says, my boy, come on, come on in. And I, and I get as far as the middle of the room, and he says, no, come, come closer. And I get to the bottom of the steps, and he says, no, not there. Come on, all the way up. I get to sit with Jesus. And I don't, because he's, he's done all the stuff. He's made me clean. He's lifted me up. He's paid the price for everything. And no matter how much I bring into the room, he always just says, Mark, come. And sometimes I'll get, a, in my imagination, I'll get a little bit down the room and you say, yeah, but you can leave that. Uh, oh, okay. Sorry, Lord. Yeah. Because that's done. I picked it up again. I'm sorry. Somehow this is this amazing intersection by between... God, who is the Word made flesh, and the Word that we find in the Bible, and the living Word, and Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and who is the vine. 1 Peter 1.23 says this, For you have been born again, not of imperishable, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. How? Through the living and enduring Word of God. Folks, we do not get to shape and create God in our image. Anyone can come to West Wilts Vineyard. 
Come as you are, whether you are clean and posh or whether you are smelly, whether you are addicted to heroin or Chardonnay, come. It's all addiction. Sorry if that's news for some of the Chardonnay drinkers. Come, no matter what labels you give yourself, it doesn't matter. Come, no matter whether you have been battered by the storms of life or whether you are winning at life, whether you have an empire or have lost everything, just come and come as you are. But please know this, as you come and as you meet him, you can't shape him in your image. You have to leave all of that stuff at the door. All of the labels, even the labels of addict and rich or poor or whatever they are. Every label gets left at the door. We can't shape God in our image. He wants to impress his image upon us. And as we gaze at him, so we become transformed into his likeness, not him into our likeness. James 1.21 says this, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. There's only one way, and it's to accept, not Mark, but Jesus. James 1.18, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be the kind of first fruits of the vine of all that he created. Colossians 3, let the message of Christ or the, or the word in progress, it's the same one as John 8, dwell in you richly. Are you letting God's word dwell in you? You know, sometimes what I want to do is I want to take a verse and just let it bounce around my brain and my living and let him shape me through that so that I become more like him. I think one of the biggest lies that we can believe is that we're not clean. If you've chosen to follow Jesus, he has made you clean. You are forgiven. It is a done deal. The bit that's happened just before this in the passage is that Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. He's cleaned them, but what he's done is he's, he's cleaned off the stuff that they picked up of that day. And he says to them that they are already clean. Folks, we can approach his throne of grace with confidence. I know we have all sorts of stuff, all sorts of history, all sorts of anxiety, all sorts of stumbles that we feel like they get in the way, but they don't. I mean, they do, but they don't from where he stands. He looks at us and he says, yeah, you can come in because you have been clothed in righteousness. You're part of the royal priesthood. So for the disciples, what happens is because Jesus is with them, they are clean. 
and there's a nanosecond in history where then suddenly he's not. And in that moment, God the Father lays upon him all of the sin of the whole world. And in that moment, they move just not from being clean because of his presence. They move to being clean because Jesus has paid the price. There's this beautiful verse in Isaiah 53, verse 6, and I am coming into land. I have given you like a, a five-course taster meal this evening, this, this morning. I hope your brains are okay. Um, Isaiah 53, verse 6 says this, and it's beautiful. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or the sin of us all. He has laid on him. Did you hear that? It's on him. You remember the dinner at the start? It's on him. He's covered the bill, folks. You don't need to get to the end of the meal, as I sometimes do, and think, oh, man, look at what my kids ordered. I wonder if there's an, I might need to do some bank transfers in order to pay the bill so I don't feel like a student again. Don't worry. He's paid the bill. It's on him. The whole of your life has been laid on him. It's done. And because it's been done, it cannot be undone. All that's left is, is this. Revelation 3, verse 20. Here I am, says Jesus. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And I will eat with him. How can this be? Because it's on him. He's paid the bill, folks. He's done it. He's paid the bill and he shows up in person to eat with you. It doesn't matter whether you have been living your whole life your own way and hurting and wounding others, he paid the price for you on the cross to make you clean by his word. The word who is not just a present reality spoken, but his word in person, the divine wisdom, God himself, who's come in person to pay the bill. I think that's probably all I've got to say on that matter. So should we stand and pray? I'm sorry that wasn't very funny, but um, hey. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pray a bit and then um, 
And then other people will come and pray a bit too, or something. I don't know. Oh. Jesus says at the end of Matthew's gospel, I will be with you always, even to the end of the, way, end of the age. I will be with you always. He's here right now by the power of his Holy Spirit. And there will be things that you and I carry that we think discount us from his presence. Anxieties and sins and burdens and histories and unworthiness and a, a whole raft of things. And please hear King Jesus, who is inviting you to dine with him. Hmm. And he's paid the bill. It's on him. Holy Spirit, come and, come and rest upon us. No, better prayer. Holy Spirit, come and do what you want to do. Come and do what you want to do. These are your dear children, your friends. Come and do what you want to do in them today, Jesus. I think there are, uh, maybe there are people here for whom Jesus is knocking on your heart and it's the first time you've heard it today. The latch is on the inside, folks. He's not going to barge his way in. You just need to say yes. Let him in. And he'll come and eat with you. And your soul will delight in the richest affair. 